Right, morning. Uh, okay, I'm going to start with uh, a little story, uh, actually about myself. Um, don't really like talking about myself, but maybe this will help us get started. So <clears throat> I went to university, and uh, the first year uh, as I set off for university, uh, what was on my mind was the summer following. Um, I was uh, quite uncertain about what that summer was going to look like. Now, for many of you, you might think that's nothing to worry about. You just go home, get your washing done, watch test cricket all summer, or, or go and get a job and pay off your overdraft or whatever it is. Uh, but um, uh, for me, I, 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 I didn't want to go home. Uh, the year leading up to me going away was uh, a fairly difficult one for me. There'd been a lot of change. Um, in fact, everything really that was familiar to me had changed. Uh, just in that year before, my mum had unexpectedly died. Uh, I was the youngest of four siblings, and my brother had already left home, got married that summer. My other brother got married, left home. My sister got engaged, got married, left home. Uh, then my dad got married again. And uh, me and my dad had been kind of muddling along for a little bit, but, uh, but I ended up pretty alone just as I set off for uni. I left my church family, which had been uh, a wonderful place that I'd grown up in, felt very secure in. Uh, left the youth group, left the football team. Didn't get to Sunday meetings anymore. Left all my friends. Um, in fact, I fell out really badly with one of my friends. It was a painful time. There was so much change going on and I genuinely wasn't keeping up with processing it all. So when I looked ahead to the next summer, the idea of going back to the old family house was not something I could... Uh, it, it, was just, it was just too painful to think about going there. So, so I'm just looking forward with massive uncertainty as to what that summer was going to look like, who I was going to spend it with, where I was going to be, where I was going to sleep. But in reality, that was actually probably reflected looking further ahead in my life as well at that time. Now, I know I won't be the only one who's in this room who's faced that kind of uncertainty, and I don't know what uncertainty you have faced or are facing now in your life. Maybe you just don't like uncertainty and you just work so hard to keep everything under control in life. Maybe, like me, you've experienced some rapid change, some enforced change. You've lost significant people that contributed to your security. Perhaps you're wondering, what school am I going to be going to next year? What class am I going to be in? Who's my teacher going to be? Which of my friends are going to be in my class? Who am I going to be sat next to? Perhaps you face the loss of a job or a career. Perhaps you've lost a relationship, a friendship, a marriage. Perhaps you face uncertainty as to if or when you might become a parent. Maybe even an accident or an illness has changed the course of your life. Perhaps a pastor that you valued went to glory, or maybe went astray, and you were left with a troubled heart and much uncertainty. 
Perhaps even listening to the news at the minute is, a, is difficult. Whether that's COVID or the war in Ukraine, it's left you fearful, maybe lacking peace on a personal level, on a global level. Perhaps you're feeling it on behalf of all those Ukrainians who have just been suffering these last six weeks, losing everything that they've had and known. These are just some examples you may be thinking of your own right now. I would suggest that uncertainty about the future is certain to visit us at some point in life. We've been working through the Gospel of John, and you might recall that we've recently seen a bit of a shift from times of miracles and signs and excitement in all that Jesus is doing, Jesus being present with the disciples. And he's, we've seen this shift. We're now looking ahead. We're looking further ahead. And he's helping them to begin to look ahead. He's preparing them for the fact that he's going to be leaving them soon. And not surprisingly, their response at this point is to look to the future and just see massive uncertainty ahead. These guys, they've gone all in with Jesus. They've been, they left their careers, they left their boats, they left their houses. And ever since, they've been burning their bridges with the Jewish and the Roman authorities. They've been having some great excitement. They've been throwing off the law. They've been discovering grace with Jesus. It's been really good. But now Jesus has begun to reveal and explain to them that he'll be shortly be betrayed, killed. He'll be leaving them. What must they be thinking if Jesus isn't here? What are we going to do? Who are we going to be following? This is a problem. What's going to become of them? And it's into this scenario, in this space, that Jesus continues to talk to his disciples. So if you want to turn with me to John and chapter 14. Now, if you've got a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red letters, you're going to notice that this whole chapter pretty much is in red. So this is the words of Jesus that we are listening to. So I'm going to read that for you, and then I've got a question for you. Chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas chipped in. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, to the Father, except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even, if, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. 
Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. One who loves me will be, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. I have said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So the question I've got for you is this. What does Jesus bring to light about God for his disciples in their context? What does he show them about God in the face of their uncertainty? Given that we know he's continuing to prepare them for what is coming. I'm going to draw our attention to five things from this chapter that I think answer that question. Firstly, he starts and he almost finishes with, do not let your hearts be troubled. At first glance, this might sound a bit like when someone starts a conversation with you and they say, now I don't want you to worry, but... And then immediately you go from the state of not actually being worried to being really worried. But I think perhaps this is Jesus' way of saying, and we've heard this this morning already, I know you. I know where you're at. I know you're facing massive uncertainty. I acknowledge that you're feeling troubled. And I care. 
I'm going I'm to give you some serious encouragement. It's coming up. But first, I want you to know that I understand where you are at. I know what's going on in your life. Just as an aside, this is, this is really useful in normal conversation when you're talking with people. Letting them know that you've heard what they've said. Reflecting it back to them. It's an important step in the communication. Yeah? Then someone know you've heard them. Then, then you can pile in, tell them why they've got it all wrong and tell them what the answer is. Other approaches are available. It gets them to lift their eyes. Again, we've heard this already this morning. To look beyond the current situation to whatever hurdle is right in front of them. He helps them to think bigger picture, much bigger picture. And he, I don't mean just he says, oh, look to eternity, it'll be all right when we get there. It's rubbish here, but it'll be all right when we get there. He's preparing them for much more than that in here. He's talking about, he's talking about going away, but he's talking about coming back as well. So he's preparing them for death, his death, but he's also preparing them for his resurrection. I'll be coming back. He's looking ahead to his ascension. He's looking ahead, further ahead to, to returning to eternity and, and taking us with him. He's a God for all times. And if he's a God for all times, then they can believe for, for times of celebration and healing, times of victories and fun, as well as accepting times of challenge and persecution and loss and difficulty. It reminded me of Paul uh, claiming to the Philippians that he's learned to be content in all circumstances. Um, I can imagine in, in describing that as his expectation, uh, that, that, that he, you know, he knows he will face being in need and having plenty in the future. Uh, uh, having that expectation is part of being prepared for it, isn't it? acknowledges their uncertainty and lifts their eyes to the bigger picture. Secondly, Jesus goes on to talk about himself a lot and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Just in this chapter, if, if you like numbers, I like numbers sometimes, I counted up. Jesus referred to himself 72 times, the Father 27 times, and the Holy Spirit nine times, all in that one chapter that I just read. That's if I counted them right. Um, next week, we're going to be focusing very much on Jesus, uh, as on Easter Sunday, we consider the greatest demonstration of love and obedience in all history. But today, I want us to consider just slightly more broadly that Jesus chose this moment to strengthen the disciples by emphasising the Trinitarian nature of God. Now, he doesn't lay it out very sequentially or, 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 or logically, maybe like a, a good teacher might do. Uh, he was a good teacher, but anyway. But it, it, it's, uh, uh, if it, you know, I, I'd, I'd have wanted him to draw me a diagram. Uh, that, that, helped, that would help me, maybe. Um, in fact, I was on School of Leadership a couple of years ago, and they showed us a diagram, which I actually is quite good. Uh, if we could pop it up on the screen. There we go. Oh, a bit smaller than it was earlier. Maybe it'll go bigger. But anyway, maybe you can read that. 
this is just one way, just one lens, just one uh, way that might help you. It helped me think about the Trinity. Hopefully you can see it and read that. Copy it down if you want to. Nice diagram, diagrammatic way of looking at it. But, but there's, there's, there's other ways as well. I, I love in this, this text, it's so rich in the way Jesus is talking about the persons in the Trinity and beginning right from the start to talk about how they relate with each other. Jesus talks in, in here about the Trinity. He, he's starting to talk about how they relate with each other, with love and with mutual submission to each other. He's starting to get, uh, understand the character uh, uh, in, this, in this flavor that comes. I, I'd encourage you to, to reread this passage for yourself and, and maybe read it a few times. Uh, let it get into you. It's kind of it's a bit poetic. It's a bit, it's a bit here and there, isn't it? It's like some of those statements connect up and then he comes back to and goes again. It's, it's a good, good passage to kind of soak in, in terms of helping us understand the, the Trinity that way as well. Uh, it's always tempting when, when you're starting to talk about the Trinity to, to go to some created analogy. Uh, 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 and, and maybe you've heard them before, maybe you've used them before, and, and they're, they're okay, they've got some value. But I was more helped re recently, again, while I was on, on school leadership, um, with, with this statement, uh, which helped me uh, give another angle on how I uh, want to engage with understanding the Trinity. And that was if we try and understand the Trinity just based on human experience or something we could see or previous understanding, we're probably not even going to think it's possible to have a God that is three and one. But the revelation about the Trinity is from God to us. So we've got God communicating that to us, and he wants us to begin to understand. And we will, and we can, and we have begun to understand it. But it's very possible that when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to be so overwhelmed as we fully comprehend the wonder of what it means to have a Trinitarian God. We know this triune God, don't we? We've met him. And yet, there's still so much more to get to know. We can grow and develop that relationship. Another help I found with this is, 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 is by the ancient creeds and by statements of faith that you see here and there. In the 4th and 5th century, church leaders got together in Nicaea and later in Constantinople to hammer out some wording together to help consistently describe God. And they start with his Trinitarian nature. I reckon they would have had John 14 in their hearts as they were putting these words together. I'm just going to quote a little bit for us. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, and in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father, and who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Just like Jesus had taught his disciples in this moment, Trinitarian God, 
So the early church recognized that they, they needed to continue that work. I mean, maybe one of the reasons for those councils was that as the early church spread, there were different groups who had developed different and divergent views on the Godhead. Indeed, there are still many uh, different and divergent views across the Christian church on the Trinity. It's an important subject to understand. Some looked to insert division, separate out God, suggest he's not one, two or three separate parts. Some looked to insert hierarchy. Always dangerous when we start to focus on hierarchy, isn't it? Hierarchy is all around us in the world and... Uh, uh, it's such a battleground for us. But hierarchy is not what comes through in this passage when, it's the, the, when Jesus is describing what the Trinity is like. It's full of mutual love and, and voluntary submission. Your workplace, your government, your, your family even might be, might be full of hierarchical thinking. And it can creep into church life too. There's nothing about power dynamics or control going on here. This is about promoting others. Jesus says, he is greater than I. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Others have looked to diminish Jesus' divinity, suggest he's not actually fully God, or, or indeed his humanity, suggest he's not actually fully man. Some look to diminish the person of the Holy Spirit, maybe relegate him into a, a power or a force. It's important we know that the, 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 the I mean, I'm using the words from the Evangelical Alliance's statement of faith, it just simply says this, the first one, the one true God who lives eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the God we worship, and this is the God we proclaim. Now, it's important for the disciples to hear about the Trinity and grow in their understanding about them in this moment. But not to stop there. Jesus talks about both about the, the relationships between them, and then, and then it's in it, there's this inclusion of his disciples, an invite in to the disciples. It, it, it's into a relationship with the Trinity. Not just knowing about them, it is actually knowing them. I'm just going to read some selected phrases in order between verses 15 and 26 again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You will see me because I live. You will also live. You will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You will be loved by my Father, and I too will love you. My Father will love you. We will come and make our home with you. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So this invitation, not to know about the Trinity, invitation to know the Trinity, to be in relationship with all three persons of the Trinity. The disciples get to experience the love of them all. So as well as all those other references to the Father, to himself, and to the Holy Spirit, Jesus throws in 45 references to you, the disciples. They were included. Surely that invite is to us as well. There is room in his heart for you.
Thirdly, Jesus does bring a clear emphasis on the coming Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has been active since the beginning of creation, but there's this new season coming. As well as being promised twice, we see in chapter 14, it's going to be promised in chapter 15 and twice more in chapter 16 as well. We'll be looking at those in the future. Uh, uh, but, but the emphasis is that, that the Holy Spirit will come and be the advo their advocate. He'll teach them and remind them. So is this going to be different for them from following Jesus, having Jesus with them? Well, yes, it is going to be different. But also, no, it's not going to be different. Uh, is it going to be better? Well, yes, it's going to be better, but no, it's not going to be better. It'll be the same. The disciples need to know at this point that there's not a change of direction coming up. It's a continuation. Anything the Holy Spirit says is going to line up with what Jesus would have said. And everything Jesus says, he's only saying what the Father told him to say anyway. There's a consistency there. To borrow from the uh, Evangelical Alliance statement of faith again, when he, where, it, where it comes on to talk about the, the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, it says he leads us to repentance, unites us with Christ through new birth, empowers our discipleship, and enables our witness. This is what the Holy Spirit brings to us. And we can look further ahead into, uh, into Acts and Jesus' final statement to the gathered disciples before his ascension, where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we can go ahead even further into chapter 2, into, into Pentecost. And, uh, uh, and it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Peter goes on to quote Joel in the last days. This is, this is what was promised. I will pour out my spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The spirit has come. Fourthly, Jesus points us to the point, starts to point the, the disciples to the fruit that they can expect to see in their lives as they live in relationship with the Trinity. We can't really miss it because Jesus keeps repeating it. Verse 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Can you see the pattern? Just to help us, he puts it in the reverse. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. We see this relationship, this love relationship with God will show fruit that will be obedience to him and his teaching. I want to I convince us this morning that, that this is so helpful for us 
when we find out and discover, become aware of some area in our life that perhaps doesn't quite match up to full obedience with everything the Father has said. Maybe it's just me, but if that is you as well, maybe this will help you because it points us back to God so we can let the Holy Spirit remind us of the Father's love. That's why we might be obedient, because we've understood the love of the Father. So if we've lost the obedience, we can get back via the love of God. When we come at it from that way, putting things right in life becomes possible. It's a fruit that we can enjoy, obedience. Last one, fifthly. Jesus tells his disciples that another fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life will be peace in place of fear. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And again, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, I know I absolutely know that anxiety is an experienced reality by many. And I know that when you're tormented by anxiety, you can't just force yourself not to feel that emotion. I know that you, hear, you might hear that verse and, and think, oh, that's just another pressure. That's just another thing I've got to sort out. That's another thing I've got wrong. I know that for many of us, our anxiety is linked to uncertainty about the future. Those things we were thinking about earlier that might be uncertain in your future might cause anxiety in you. Let's have a look at what the, what the chapter says. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples who are probably anxious and are facing great uncertainty. And he says, the Holy Spirit's coming. Don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. My peace I give to you. That is also a truth. And that is also a reality to experience. How do we get then from one to the other? That's a fairly big question. Probably can't cover it all right now. But I can, I can maybe from here give us a starting point. If you are in an anxious state, we can ask the Father, the Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, to send the Holy Spirit to us, to teach us all things, to remind us of these and, and, and so many other things. Some of these things we've already looked at. God knows us and he loves us. God knows you and he loves you. That, that we do worship one true God who lives eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those that ask. 
work of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to repentance, to unite us with Christ through new birth, to empower our discipleship and to enable our witness. And also, that we've just looked at that, obedience comes from his love. That's what his word says to us. That's what we now need to think about. How is that going to take root in your life? We've looked at the disciples' uncertainty and heard what Jesus said to them. How is this word of God going to help you? How is it going to make a difference to you and your life? What's your uncertainty? What next hurdle is in front of you? Do you need to be honest with God about it? Do you need to tell him what's troubling you? And do you need to acknowledge as well that he knows, he knows, he knows, he loves you. Perhaps from what we've looked at, you're thinking there's a person of the Trinity that you want to grow in your relationship with. Perhaps there's an area of life that God's prompting obedience in you. I know for at least four of you here, recently, you've been prompted about being baptised in water. I know that because you've come and you've talked to me about it. And we're going to help you do that on the 1st of May. It's going to be a wonderful celebration. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be encouraged. It's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Others may join you in that. I'm praying for and believing for that, that, that more are going to come. That faith is going to overcome fear. The fear of being the centre of attention for a few minutes. The knowledge of God's love. You're going to be so gripped by God's love that the result will be obedience to Jesus' teaching about baptism and his example himself of being baptised. It's only going to be the first step as well of many in following Jesus leading in your life. Maybe for you this morning you need to take a step of choosing to believe that the Holy Spirit can increase your peace today. I don't know, maybe God's nudging you on something else. I'm going to finish with just asking you for a minute to imagine with me. Close your eyes if it helps you. You don't have to. Imagine what our lives would look like individually and as a, as a church if we were all living in a vibrant relationship with the Trinity. Not living independently, but connected in every moment, in every thought, in every decision, in every reaction. Imagine us all applying the belief that he knows us and he loves us as a starting point for understanding what's going on in life, especially when we face uncertainty about the future. By looking at that and, and, and saying, let me take a step back, let me start by knowing that 
God loves me and he understands. What about thinking about what it would be like if we were all utterly convinced that he's in glory, preparing a place for us in the new heaven and the new earth where there's no sin and no pain. And using this eternal perspective to just put into the right place the light and momentary troubles we face in this phase of life. Or imagine with me, if you were so convinced of God's love, that you never, none of us ever, had a moment's hesitation before stepping forward in obedience to everything God said to us. Imagine these words of Jesus that say, don't let your heart be troubled, taking root in our life, and us experiencing more peace. Imagine being so full of the Holy Spirit that our discipleship is completely undistracted. We're fully empowered to do all he's saying to us. Imagine how excited we're going to be to pass this good news on to others as the Holy Spirit enables us.